study His Word. We are picking up uh, our uh, Luke chapter um, 15 study about the prodigal son or the two brothers is what the text really is uh, called. So let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, for blessing us, allowing us to make it through another day, for helping, Lord God, the world to see the uh, slow decline, but it is a decline of the virus, uh, COVID-19, and we just thank you, Lord God, for protecting us thus far, and I ask your continual protection upon the world. And yet, we are focused so much on the squeaky wheel, which is COVID-19 right now. There's so many other things that people are struggling with right now, Lord God. Uh, their financial situation, and, uh, their work situation, situation at home, marriages. Nothing nothing changes and nothing stops in our world. But Lord, Lord God, we know that you are over all of it and you're watching over us. Please keep us safe and strong and help us, your children, to be a good example to the world. And help us, Lord God, and our families to love you and to love each other. In Jesus' holy name we pray and thank you. Be that will. Amen. Uh, so Luke 15, we're, we're looking at now the son, the, the first son, the prodigal son, as he's called. Uh, he is ill-prepared. We're going to finish the prodigal this evening and then get into the older brother uh, next, Lord willing. But here's this great departure. It's interesting that it's a great departure. Like the Pharisees couldn't be any further away from God than they could possibly be, nor could the, uh, the you know, if you will, the worldly folks. They weren't any further away from God. He's going to a distant country far, far from God. Look at it, Luke uh, chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. One thing I notice in the text when you read it, the Bible gives us time. It, this parable isn't something that happens overnight. There's time. He, uh, there's time between receiving the funds uh, and leaving. There's time for him to abandon, if you will, the land in which he's living in and to travel to a distant country. The Bible makes it clear it's a very far country and it's almost as if this son is trying to get as far away from his father as possible. There's a lot of depth to that. If you wanted to, you know, we're, we're not really going to have enough time to really talk about the depth of how far he's willing to remove himself from his father. And then from a spiritual connection, how far sometimes we want to remove ourselves from from God. But he abandons the Holy Land. He abandons his brother. He abandons his home. He abandons his father. And then he realizes something. He realizes that the world, Satan, can eat us alive. You know, we're just not, we, we think that we're prepared, um, you know, but, but sometimes I, I remember I was younger, uh, obviously all of us were at one time. And I could, you know, you can't wait to go home, get out. You want to go and see the world. And the world is a cruel place, and and sometimes our, our young folks want to leave before they're really truly prepared. And you know, it's that it's that place where the parents can no longer uh, protect them. It's it's that place where the, our children, some children, have proven to be unprepared, and and the world just Satan causes 
their faith to fail. Even if they just go to college. They go off to college and our young folks just, just leave the church. They leave the Lord. They just weren't ready for what Satan had out there uh, for them. So here's one of the things that it, it takes a while sometimes for us to learn. And that is that Satan is real. And he is ruthless. And he is evil. And he is alive. He is bad. And, and it's one of the things that you grow up you grow up not knowing God. You grow up outside the Lord's body of, of believers, outside of the church, and 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 you're you're out there with Satan and all that that's in the world. It's another thing when you grew up, you're always going to services, and God is always in in your presence and in your midst, and then going out there and saying, "Wow, can it really be that bad?" And it, it it's it's a ruthless world that we're living in. So this young boy goes off ill prepared. And he began to suffer, right? Um, and as he suffered, he had he had plenty of time. That's what the text is giving us. When it says he went to a far country, he had plenty of time to think about his decision. He had time to think about what it is that he was going to do. And we're not told how long. There are a few things we're not told. One is we're not told how long he's gone before he could, you know, spend all of his money, number one. We're not told um, the the real reason that he left was the real was the true reason he left to go off and squander his father's money, or did he end up in a situation uh, that that you know meeting the wrong friends, the wrong people, and and that you know brought it doesn't really matter the the true motive for him leaving the home was it because of uh, the life relationship between he and his brother? We don't really know all of that. We just know that the account tells us he went off to a far country and and while he's out there he spent all of his money and then there are consequences in life when we're not truly prepared um and and he suffered tremendous hardship because he was out there by himself making poor decisions and it seems like you know you make one poor decision after another uh, after another and being self-centered that doesn't help any right he quickly learned something and he better grow up fast. He learned that lesson through the hard knocks of life. Life isn't life isn't just about pleasure, adventure, self, fun. Life is real. And um and all of us, each of us, have to really think about the things that we're that we're looking at and doing or looking into in our in our lives. So the older brother says in chapter fifteen and verse thirty. But when this son of yours came, uh, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, uh, you killed the fattened calf for him. It's as if, it's as if, if he knew why his brother left, you know, or, or regardless, he has some kind of insight. We understand this is what the young lad did. He went off and he, he squandered his money with loose living. And, and, and Proverbs 13 and verse 15, the King James Version, uh, I like it, the way it reads. It reads, the, the way of the transgressor is hard. And it's true, right? I mean, the way out there in the world, um, it, it is it is difficult. It, it is, life is tough. And when you're living in sin and living in this lifestyle, um, the parable switches to circumstances. It It gives us information about people. So the prodigal, if we're, if we're saying the only, you know, 
what was the reason for his, his suffering and for his struggle? Well, I'm going to get to that in just a moment because that's when the story really begins to unfold and is really powerful and, and beautiful. But I want to talk about, just for a moment, circumstances. Um, it wasn't that the prodigal was poor, I mean lazy. He was poor, obviously, later. But it wasn't that he was lazy. He went out to a distant country. And it wasn't that he wasn't ambitious. <laughs> um, sometimes circumstances are the reasons that life overpowers us. Some of the Gentiles, for example, when remember, the, remember, don't forget the audience, right? The, the Gentiles are sitting there at the feet of Jesus. They're listening to the Word of God. And, and, and these Gentiles um, have had circumstances in their lives that may have caused them to be who they are or, or what they are. And we're not making excuses for, uh, for, you know, why people live the way they live. But sometimes... There are circumstances in life that cause us to to do things a little differently, right? Um, some are born in poverty. Some are born out of the suburbs and the slums and dangerous neighborhoods. And, and, and the environment, those harsh environments can really challenge your heart and no doubt now this prodigal who was in a very safe, sheltered environment is finding himself in a different kind of environment. He's amongst Gentiles who at this moment in the text have different standards of, of morality and living. Uh, he's amongst um, prostitutes and, and he's amongst those kinds of people who live in a way that would be contrary to what he was used to growing up in his life. But the circumstances in life you think about now the Gentiles and the and the the mercy that Jesus had for the Gentiles. Circumstances in life sometimes challenge, or should I say, always challenge the heart. And here now, this young this young prodigal is in a situation where he's in a circumstance that maybe he's never been in before. I mean, he's in a situation in a position of life where he can't say, "Daddy, save me," because he left his dad. He cannot go to his family, his friends, his servants. He cannot go anywhere. He's with the Gentiles now. And now at his, this point in his life, he is crying for help. And guess what the problem is? The problem is the true reality in life is this. The way of the transgressor is hard. There's no one to save him. Remember, he left God. He left the Holy Land. He left his father. He left what he would consider or we would consider the comforts of home. And there was no one. There was no one there to save him. He unwisely and sinfully spent all his resources. No one knows the future. But here's what's going to happen. This parable is about to make a major shift. So I'm going to look at verse 14 of Luke 15. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. So, first part, he had spent everything. So now we're looking at time. It took some time, right? I mean, you travel, uh, then you arrive at your destination. You begin to establish yourself. You find a home and this and that, etc. And then you've got to figure out he's in a distant country. He's in a Gentile territory. Um, you know, wh- where's all the action? So he, he finds it, and then it takes some time. And over that lapse of time, he spends everything. He has nothing left. 
So now the parable takes this great shift. And the shift is the unforeseeable, right? The unforeseeable future. Life's conditions happen. It's like no one would have thought. Today we're looking at this, you know, this pandemic. No one would have ever thought that this would happen. But here it is. I mean, well, we know things like this can happen, but, but no one would have ever thought this could happen. And this, this famine that comes, you know, a famine takes time. Turn to Genesis chapter 41. A famine takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Okay, so I want us to get the time part of the text that Jesus is trying to help us to understand. You know, we go out away from God and for a while, everything feels great. I mean, life is wonderful and, um, you know, I mean, wonderful in a bad way, right? We, we get whatever we want. We can do whatever we want. We're just spending our time doing whatever, everything we want. Life is just grand in, a, in an ungodly way once we've left God. It takes time, doesn't it? And then over, all of a sudden, over time, we realize, man, I'm so far away from God. I'm in a position or a predicament that I can't handle or I can't control. So here's this, this shift that happens over time. And I'm going back uh, to Genesis 41 because I want to get an understanding of time, 53. Uh, remember in, um, in, in Egypt, the famine came, and verse 51, verse 53 rather, when the seven years of plenty had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to, uh, to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was a famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, you shall do. And when the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe on the earth. So in Luke chapter 15 and verse 14, going back one slide, you realize when you look at the text, you'll find that a severe famine occurred. So here's a relationship. It took, it took time for this famine to, uh, occur. So he's spending his money, he spent it all, and now this famine comes, a severe famine over time, and he begins to suffer. He's been out there for a little while. His condition, uh, now we have this condition of the heart, right? His condition has changed. Life isn't as great and wonderful as he hoped it would always be. It was in the beginning. But over some time, however long that time was, enough time for him to go from home to a distant country, enough time for him to establish himself, enough time for him to spend all of his resources, enough time for this famine to occur in the land in which he's dwelling. After all this time, now life has changed, right? Circumstances have changed. And this then brings this question of the heart. Do I, A, humble myself and surrender to God? Or do I, B, become bitter and angry at everybody? 
including God. I mean, that's kind of where life is, isn't it? We find this happening to people all the time. It's like when, when, when misfortune uh, visits our home, uh, our lives, we either, one, become bitter and angry at God and the world, and we begin to, you know, blame everyone and, you know, why me, etc. Or we humble ourselves, surrender to God, and like Job, you know, Job chapter uh, 1, the very end, he said, the Lord giveth the Lord uh, taken away. But he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's God who's given. It's God. Maybe maybe he was taken away. But I'm not going to curse God uh, it, just because things aren't going my way. Here's the next shift. In this text, right, circumstance, his circumstance has changed. And now we get to see the beauty of of God. This is what's beautiful about the text, right? All that other stuff we talked about brings us all the way to this point. We're going to see the beauty of God. I don't want you to miss this because this is so powerful. And then, and then we're going to go right back to the prodigal son and then to the brother and to the father. But you got to see the beauty of God in Luke chapter 15. Remember verse four, verse four, what man among you, if he is a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. So the beauty of God is this. God, who is the good shepherd, has come all the way from heaven, all the way to the earth, to find his lost sheep. Isn't that amazing? You talk about a distance, right? God has come from heaven to earth to find his lost sheep. And, and here's the, here's the, the thing about the famine and the suffering is that their hearts had to be ready, right? So the, the prodigal now in his heart, if, if, if he's humbling himself, which he did, he humbled himself. And so his heart is ready to receive God. God has come all the way from heaven. To save his people. That's the beauty of the account. That's the climatic part of this particular account that you cannot forget. He's talking about something is lost and something's found. So here's this young man who's lost. Here's the whole world who is lost. And here comes God. Here comes the Father. Here he comes to save, to seek and save the lost. Turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Look, if you will, at verse 15 and verse 16. All of John 10 talks about the good shepherd, right? The verse, the first uh, 18 uh, verses and following. But I want to jump, go backwards to verse 15. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep which are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock and one shepherd. So here, Jesus comes. To save his people, to save the whole world, both Jew and Gentile. The other sheep in verse 16 that he speaks of are the Gentiles. So the Jew and the Gentile. He's come to seek and save that which is lost. What an amazing account. And how far is the world gone from God? Well, as far as east to west. How far is the world gone from God? They can't be saved. No one can be saved without the blood of Jesus Christ. See, it's amazing, right? It's a very powerful Powerful text that we're reading. Verse 25 of John chapter 10. Verse 25. Jesus answered them, 
I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. And they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. So what has God done? We hear the gospel, we look at life, and for some of us, our hearts are softened, and we receive God. For others, there's this bitterness, and this, I don't have time for God, and it's, it's a very difficult uh, thing to see. It's, it's trying to help people to, even like today, trying to help people to put life in a perspective and to recognize that this pandemic that we're going through is not a time of hardening. It's a time of softening. And I'm not saying God has brought the pandemic upon us in any way, shape, or form. But my point is, the lesson that we can gain from this is, it's not a time of hardening. It's a time of softening our hearts. So if every child of God, if we all humbled ourselves, I know we humbled ourselves in prayer, asking God to remove the pandemic. You know, Paul, the apostle, prayed God, please remove the thorn in my side. And God said, my grace is sufficient. But my, my point is, if we, ha- if we humble our hearts and allow God to soften our hearts, we'll be able to see the true beauty of God and the reconciliation of the world. What is God doing through this? What is God, what are the positives that you can think of right now um, in this situation that we are currently in? What are some things that we've learned about ourselves? One of the things that we've learned, maybe people aren't very happy about it, but we've learned that many households, people don't like being together. Husbands and wives and children, right? We're stuck in the same house. We're dying. Why would you, why would that be a bad thing? Unless maybe we're just not really used to being together. But isn't that a good thing? Right? It should be a good thing, right? But maybe my heart is becoming bitter instead of being softened, right? There should be this joy of being able to spend time together with your family, right? Something else that we're, we're learning, which is beautiful. Um, how desperately we, the church, we need each other so desperately. Praise God for that. I mean, that's not a good thing. We don't like the suffering. We don't like the change of circumstance. But wow, how desperately we realize we need each other. God's genius shines through again. God is showing us things. The question is, are our eyes open? Is our heart prepared Are we listening? Are we listening? What is God trying to tell me right now in this situation that I am in about myself? What do I need to know about myself? Not everyone else. Don't look in other people's houses. Look into my own heart first, the house of my heart, the one that houses my heart, my mind. Look into self and ask myself, what is God, what is God trying to tell me? You know, and, you know, for some maybe who have been, you know, away for a very, very long time from the church and say, you know, I, I need, you know, I need God. I just got, I just received uh, a message. I re- received a message from people that have, have been away from church, you know, in general for a very long time. They're not members of the church, just they've been away. And, uh, and they're like, you know, I, and now they're saying, hey, you know, can, can we, um, is there a way you can reach out to us? You know, why? Because through, through times like this, there's this softening. And so, are we listening? We, we are, we need to make sure that we're listening to the message, whatever that message is that God, uh, is giving us in our own minds. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The beauty, the beautiful part of this account is that God came all the way from heaven 
to find that sheep, that one lost sheep, right? Of course, there are many lost sheep. Verse uh, 18, reconciliation. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Reconciliation. This amazing change, right? So, now we dig into the heart. What happens now? This prodigal is out there on his own, and he realizes how desperately he needs his father. He didn't think he needed his father for a while. Turn to Leviticus chapter 11. He wanted to go out there and explore the world. Like sometimes uh, in, in the Lord's uh, church, you know, folks want to go out and see what's out there. You know, I want to, you ever heard the term, sowing my wild oats. I want to go and see what's out there. And, and you know, there, you find out there's nothing out there uh, except for bad stuff. Uh, but sometimes we find that out and, and while suffering, um, some of us don't make it back. And that's the sad part. But God has come all the way from heaven to save his people, but this young man finds himself uh, in a place that is, is not is not where a child of God is supposed to be. He finds himself in the pig pen, right? Uh, Leviticus eleven, uh, verse eight, seven and eight. And the pig, for though it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, it does not chew cud. It is unclean to you. You shall not eat of their flesh nor touch their carcass, they are unclean to you. And where is he? <laughs> He's going to be in a pig pen. That's when you hit rock bottom, isn't it? Turn back to Luke chapter 15. That, that's, when, that's when rock bottom happens. And uh, in this particular account, in verse 15 and 16, there is, there is utter humiliation that happens in, in his life. Verse 15 says, He went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. As if, was that an insult? Was he, I mean, he do that on purpose? We don't know, right? But he sent him out to feed the swine, and he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. You know, I I think I said this a few weeks ago, that God doesn't want to be right. You know, God is not in the account saying, I told you, you want to be with the pigs? Then fine, here's a pig for you. That's not what God is doing. But in the account, he finds himself, you know, in a place of humiliation. He's reduced to um, a state of hunger and has to subject himself to a, a Gentile situation where he's out there in the pig pen feeding the pigs, right? And And then to... Top it off, um, he's feeding these pigs, and he would have been happy at this point just to eat what the pigs are eating, slop. If I could just get a little bit of that, that would just, that would satisfy me. He has been brought to a very, very low, low estate. Here's something else he learned. You know, God will never, ever leave us, right? 
where are his friends? Where are all the people? You know, when you go out and you start uh, partying the way he was doing and spending all kinds of resources and money, um, usually you, you gain some kind of friends. I put that in parentheses. Where, where are they? And, and now there's, there's no longer this uh, self-respect, a pride, this, this dignity. At this point, some, some people wake up, and unfortunately, some people are destroyed at this point in their lives. Right? But, but God, God just says, just get out of the pit. Right? Just get out of that, get out of that pit. Get out of that pig pen and, and you will survive. God will be your help. God will be our help. Uh, remember when Adam and Eve sinned and they were, they hid themselves, uh, in Genesis chapter three and, um, and God asked the question, where are you? And it, it's not like they were playing hide and seek. It's not like God couldn't find you or didn't know where he was. It, the question is, where are you now without me? Now that you've chosen to go off and live your own life and do your own thing and you're having to find, uh, you know, whatever, a measure of happiness in a way that you know isn't right or fit. Where are you now that you are in this pit or of despair maybe? Or now that you are out there in that pig pen, where are you now without me? So this is what happens. We, we're either growing humble and praising God, even in our difficult circumstances, or we're growing bitter, right? And when... And when that hour comes, that, that moment in time when, I wouldn't call it an epiphany, but that moment in time when you think, as you, you pondered on your situation and you know, you know how to go home, right? For the Christian, we'll come back to this in, in a, a moment, but to repent. You know how to get home, but pride sometimes keeps us out there. And as he is looking at his life and he's looking at where he is and he's in, you know, he's filthy physically in the pig pen. He's, he's starving. He's looking at the pigs and what they're devouring and ingesting and realizing that is, I can't eat that stuff. But he really, for one moment, for a time in his life, he desired what they were eating. That which is unclean is in his presence and in his midst. And then something happens, verse 17. Luke 15 and verse 17. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? Is life better with God or is life better without God? Is life better with God or is life better without God? Is living a life of selfishness and wickedness better without God? Or is it better to live a life in humility and service to God? He comes to his senses and he says, You know, even my father's hired men, the servants, are eating better being treated better than I'm being treated. Why am I out here? Right? And, and so, as we, you know, think about life and as he's come to his senses, may I ask, what, what wrong um, 
or what evil or what thing can you think of that's bad that God has ever brought into your life? Just one thing. What has God ever done to anyone in the negative? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Right? James 1.17. What has God ever done so wrong to make me desire my heart to leave him and to go out there and to live in the pig pen? What has God ever done to me? And then I think about in life, I think about isn't it better being with God than it is being in the world? Of course it is. Right? But it's humility that brings us to that. It's not a discovery, but it's just an honest assessment of life. It's just being honest and telling the truth. It is better to be with God always than to be in the world. Do I have to go out there and discover that, living in the pig pen to figure it out? No. It's in the Bible. God is telling us that. And either God is true or God is not. And we know God is always true for God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. He came to his senses. He assessed his situation. And he said, you know, (laughs) it is a whole lot better being with my father at home than it is being out here in the world living in this filth. Is sin filth? Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's filth. You know, it's bad. It's 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 what kills us spiritually. Second Peter, please, chapter chapter two. While he's out there in his filth, he, he's reminded we can remind ourselves of passages like like this. This is in a proverb um, it says, verse 20, For after they have escaped the defilements of the world. So God sees the world as being defiled. Right? It's a defiled place. Okay, I get it. By the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we've come from defilement to, you know, the beauties of being a child of God. They are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it will be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. And as it happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. So imagine this prodigal, this son, his first son, discovering, as he's come to his own senses, discovering the filth that he's in, realizing how bad this situation is, and then saying, eh, I think I'll just live in it. Or imagine him coming out of that filthy situation that he's in, going back home to his father, being received, and placing a, a status that he was in before, and then going right back out after he got some, has some more resources into the world and finding himself in the exact same situation. That's life, brethren. That's unfortunate, but this is what happens so often uh, for people of God. You know, Israel did it over and over again. Judah did it over and over again. And the church does it. Many members of the church, they go back out, out to the world, to the field, come back to the Lord. Back out to the world, come back to the Lord. And, it's, and thank God that he receives us back. But some don't make it back. Some, some never make it back. Galatians 5, th- this is the defiled place that 
that God describes to us. In verse 19, you, you, these are scriptures you already know about, right? Verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, as I forewarn you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and it goes on, gentleness, self-control. Have, have we lost the reality of what God says that exists in the world? That the world is truly a filthy place? Have we lost that? You know, have we, be, have we become so comfortable that, that it, it's not filthy to us and to us it's just, it's okay? And, and everything the world does is okay? Or have we truly separated ourselves from the world? Isn't it funny that here's this time of isolation where we're forced to separate ourselves from the world. But how much of the world have we brought into our homes? You know, now that we're separated from the world, let's bring, let's bring the world into our homes. What are we doing in our homes that would be considered worldly because we can't get away from what God considers defiled and filthy? Again, what is God trying to show me about me? Or better yet, what can I learn? What lesson can I learn while living in this, in this place that we're living in now? What can I learn about myself that I ought to change about me? What do I truly crave in my heart? God's trying to show us something. God always wants to teach us something. And uh, the greatest lessons that we learn are the lessons that bring us to humility and cause us to look inside of self and then work on that change, that transformation. Look at 2 Corinthians. This is called repentance, right? Repentance. When he came to himself, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, when he came to himself, something happened, right? He looks around him. He looks out. He thinks about, I don't know how long he was in the pig, the Bible doesn't tell us how long he was in the pig pen, um, how long he, you know, had to feed them, his starvation, his hunger. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but it, it gives a really strong picture. As he assessed his situation, uh, he, he recognized that he needed to repent. You know, he did, he did wrong. And he recognizes that he did wrong. And so, to fix that wrong, what does God expect of his people? What does God ask of his children? Repent. A very simple word. Repent. You know, turn your life from, from your old ways to the new ways or the ways that God expects of us to repent. Here's another idea of the thought of lostness. That word law is lost today sometimes in our vocabulary. To repent. God expects it of his children when we come to our senses. So verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss of anything through us. 
For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so this sorrow that we find in God is one that leads to life, right? I am sorry for the way. It is not worth me selling my soul. And so here's this young young lad. He's out there, however old he is. He's out there in the world, and he's come to this godly sorrow, this point where he's saying, I have really messed up. I'm going back to my father. And I'm going to tell my father, I, I have sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you, Father. I have done wrong. What's wrong? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with admitting fault? You know what's wrong with it? It challenges pride, right? We're, no one's perfect, right? The only perfect person um, that's ever existed on the earth, you know, is Jesus, right? But I think if Jesus had said, I wonder this, you know, if Jesus had said, he who has no sin, let him throw the first stone. I wonder how many stones will be tossed today. <laughs> you know, I mean, because the word repentance is lost. Because no one needs repentance. If none of us need repentance, then maybe we're not really listening. Maybe we're not trying, we're not actually seeing the picture. So here's, here's something that we can take with us from this text. That as God teaches us that we need to be careful not to misuse or abuse our freedoms. We do that sometimes, right? We're just so free that when something like, you know, here we are in a pandemic and, and something challenges our freedom and then we become rebellious people. Don't, why? Just something about being free and then I don't, don't misuse or maybe if you will um, abuse uh, the freedoms that we have. We also learn that um, humiliation, humiliation brings humility. <laughs> But does it really take that? <laughs> do, you, do I have to say, God, humiliate me first, and then I'll humble myself before you? Or should I just come to my senses now and say, you know what? God is so loving and so great. I'm just, Lord, I'm repenting to you now. I'm, gonna bring him, I'm bringing my life, my all to you uh, right now. Because the best course of action for anyone in this world is this. Come to Jesus. Right? Come to Jesus. Okay. Two more uh, uh, thoughts, and then we're going to, uh, back to Luke chapter 15. Um, we're going to end the young man and get on to the older brother. And verse uh, 19, he says, make me, make me a servant. Make me a servant. Make, make me, you know, what I should have been from the very beginning. I am no longer, verse 19, worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. In other words, use me in any way you see fit, right? I mean, even to the lowest of the lowest. In other words, brethren, be willing to serve. Be willing to serve, right? Verse 17, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. He wasn't just dying with hunger physically. He was spiritually dying, right? He was spiritually dead. He was lost and needed to be found. He comes to himself and he says, okay, I got to go back to the drawing board, humble myself and say, God, let me be a servant. And isn't that what God expects of his children today? To be servants. To serve. Right? To serve. And we have so many opportunities before us in the Lord's church today to serve. To serve as an elder. To serve as a deacon. To, to serve in ministry in some way. To serve. To humble myself. Be willing to serve. To serve God. In any way, shape, or form. Verse 21. He prays for acceptance 
Uh, the son said to him, to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's saying, please accept me, father. You know what's beautiful about repentance? We're reminded in verse 7 of Luke 15, I tell you that in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Sometimes repentance, I know, we're, we're ashamed. Well, we should be ashamed. We're ashamed of our sin. And we don't want to air it out, if you will, to whomever it is that we've sinned against. But repentance brings joy in heaven. It's not a bad thing, brethren. It just exposes something that we already know. We're all human and we all make mistakes. Right? We're all human. We all make mistakes. Okay, get on with your life. Repent of your sin and move on with Jesus. Right? That's the joy that we can move forward and not have to remain wallowing in the mire. We can get up and move on with Jesus. And so tonight, I call you to, if there's something in your life that's causing you to realize that you have to say sorry to someone or uh, ask forgiveness or whatever it may be, please do that today while we have opportunity. Repent. Repent, for this is your opportunity. Uh, God has opened our eyes, and thank God for his message of life. In a moment, we'll have uh, Brother Harris come up and speak to us. And thank you, Jane, for your service, uh, being a servant of God, being here. We, um, we want to turn it over to him. Thank you this evening for your time and for tuning in. God bless you.